first reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 10, starting in verse 5 to verse 15. And it should be on the screen or in the church Bibles beside you. It's on page 1137. Romans chapter 10, from verse 5 to verse 15. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. How's everyone doing? Big crowd for 6.30, isn't it? Yeah, excellent. Right. Um, my name's Charlie. Uh, like Mike said, it's a bit of a series of people who don't normally preach, um, but doing it one-off over the summer. Um, and I agreed to do this a while ago, a few months ago. And Mike, I, I asked, what, what should I preach about? Like, can you give me like a passage or something? And Mike said, no, you just have to think of something yourself. So I said, well, that's, I, I tried. I, and I tried for a while to think of something, to, you know, waiting for the inspiration waiting for the, a light to come out onto my Bible, illuminating a passage or something, and nothing happened. So I said, I'm like, well, I, don't, I can't think of anything at all. What should I preach on? Um, and he said, oh, no, whatever the Lord's put on your heart to talk about, that's what you should talk about. But he also said, you could give a testimony. Um, and I wasn't going to do that until I was here a few, a couple of months ago now. And Fran, is Fran in today? I don't think he... Yeah, Frank, well, Fran gave his, his testimony, which was really powerful. If anyone saw it, and he smashed a glass, and glass went everywhere. It was quite cool. Um, and that sort of struck me um, as a very powerful thing to do. And my testimony isn't as interesting as Fran's, I'm sure, but that's what I'm going to talk about. Okay? So I hope that's all right. Um, I became a Christian when I was 17. Um, so I'm basically going to talk about my childhood when I was younger. Um, so I was going to start by praying for myself, but I don't have to because Mike's already prayed for me. So that's, thank you for that. That's great. Um, so we'll get going. I grew up 
in a place called Surrey, if you know the UK, which is just up the A3 from here, so a bit north of Hampshire, um, in a place called Claygate, which is sort of largest village, small town, that sort of size. Um, I'm one of three children. I've got an older sister and a younger brother. Uh, grew up in a... I'm going to turn around a bit because I'm facing over there. I grew up in a, a, a happy family, actually. Um, lots of really good memories of being younger. Um, I did well at school, which I suppose probably helped. Um, I think I was probably more normal when I was younger. And as I got older, kind of teenage years, I, got, I turned to a, like a proper geek and I got really shy. I didn't really want to talk to anyone. Um, but I always had friends at school. I had friends at home. Um, remember summer holidays this time when I was kind of young um, we'd be off out exploring the village or going to play football or um, running around in the woods something like that or playing video games um, so when I think back to my childhood it was a, it's a happy time there's no great sort of trauma there uh, which I come from um, my parents were extremely loving, loving still are um, they were always very involved in the local church um, and because of that, I knew from an early age I was a Christian. I, I was from a Christian family, so therefore I'm a Christian. So that's how it goes when you're 10 years old. Um, and maybe a slightly sort of stiff upper lip British type of Christianity where you don't express your emotions outwardly very much, um, which I think is probably why I refuse to put my hands up when I'm singing in church and things like that. Um, but apart from that, um, yeah. Kind of straight down the line, normal Christianity. Um, we were taken to church every Sunday morning as children. Um, but beyond that, my parents never sort of forced anything on us. Um, so the church we went to is it's the, the Anglican church in Claygate. It's called Holy Trinity. It's still there. It's quite similar to St. Jude's. You probably know it. It's, um, it's about the same size, about the same sort of congregation. Um, evangelical, quite lively. Um, this is in the this is 80s and early 90s, right? So we used to sing Kendrick songs and we used to sing Shine Jesus Shine. And I was I was thinking about playing three of them just now, just to kind of give you a taste of what it was like back then. But I didn't do it in the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they're all burned into my head because of that. But anyway, um, used to go to Sunday school in the mornings, and I remember Sunday school being lots of fun. Um, we used to play games. There were the leaders were blokes kind of in their I guess in their 30s and very sporty and they'd have us running around and doing all sorts of things that get us completely exhausted um, which is fantastic and I, I'm not sure about the the kids ministry philosophy in St. Jude's right but I remember hearing a vicar talk about the same thing in his church and this is a like proper bible church reform straight down the line and he said the most important thing in kids ministry is that the kids have fun. That's what he's trying to get. Because then, if you look back and you see that you've had fun, you have good memories of church when you're young. And that, so that's my memory of it. Um, we'd run around madly, completely crazy, and get exhausted. And they sit us down for 10 minutes and give us a very quick sort of cursory Bible lesson. And then we'd be off. Um, my memories of that were that I was quite good at that, actually. That, you know, knowing what the answers are supposed to be to Bible questions. Um, because I was probably too clever for my own good. And I was very well trained at church stuff because I'd done it for years and I always knew what the answer was supposed to be. So I figured from that in my little 10 year old brain, I must be a good Christian because I know the answers in the questions in the Sunday school. Um, and most, usually the answer is Jesus. So 
if you want. There's no, no ten-year-olds here, are there? But say Jesus, and you, you win, basically, and you get the sweets. Um, so I, I was also, I mean, I was also very much less than angelic. I enjoyed being awkward. I enjoyed asking difficult questions when they occurred to me and trying to outsmart my Sunday school teachers. So um, that was there too. Um, but broadly speaking, I enjoyed myself at church when I was a little kid. Um, and then what happened as I got older, so that's up to about maybe 10, 12, um, maybe around the age of kind of 13, 14, I was starting to complain more in the mornings when my parents said it's time to go to church. I didn't really want to go. Um, and getting older, I wanted to go less and less until about, I think about the age of 14, my parents decided, well, um, he's kind of, you think to himself now, we'll stop forcing him to go to church. I didn't have to go to church in the mornings anymore. Um, I didn't want to go to church in the mornings. Uh, I still went to the youth fellowship in the evenings, so awesome they got youth stuff at St. Jude's. I think that's great. Um, basically because we had a good gang of friends and it was lots of fun and I liked, liked being there. Um, but I had this slowly growing feeling that church itself was a kind of uncomfortable place for me. Um, I knew I didn't really like being there. Um, I remember at 13, at school, not at church, I went to a Church of England school and they offered confirmation classes as part of the school. And um, my mum asked me, did I want to be confirmed when I was 13? And I definitely didn't want to be confirmed. Um, I, I'm trying to think back to how I thought then. This is quite a long time ago. So um, I think it was a combination of knowing I wasn't ready to be confirmed, so my faith wasn't there. That was one side. And the other side is I, I didn't want to be, um, and I didn't really want to do what God said. Um, and that made church uncomfortable for me. I think probably the idea that there's something called a personal faith Right? So rather than just a, an external going through the motions, knowing the answers to the questions type thing, um, a personal faith where it actually changes you inside. Thinking back, the one memory which came up above everything is that I felt really uncomfortable when you had people in church talking about Jesus and talking unashamedly about Jesus and how much they loved him and how much he'd done for them. Um, and it made me cringe, like, Jesus freaks, why do they have to do it? Why couldn't they just say, oh, I, I like God, or I like religion, or I like church? Um, why can't they kind of hide it away, you know? And why do they have to be so open and so smiley when they're talking about Jesus? It's kind of horrible. I didn't want to be there. Um, and I think that's because, this is just a reflection, I think there's, there's power in the name of Jesus, isn't there? People know that? Um, it gets a reaction. Like, if you... If you say, tomorrow at work, and someone asks you, what did you do for the weekend? I went to church. I might get a reaction. If you say, I went to church to praise Jesus, they'll think you're crazy. Right? It's, it's different. There's something about his name that we, we have this instinct to kind of hide away from, and we pr- prefer to talk about just, I went to church, or I believe in God, not in Jesus. Um, that, was, that was getting me. Um, and this was growing. So this is 13, 14 that sort of age. Um, And I came to this, I guess it's almost a subconscious realisation of a few different things. Um, And again, reaching back in my memory 15 years is is quite difficult, but I think it went something like this. 
um, if I put it into four points. So first point is this, there is a God, all right? Somehow I just knew that. Um, I've never been able to doubt that, however much I've tried challenging it. Um, It seems self-evident to me, and I don't know where that comes from, but I guess that's a a blessing of the Holy Spirit. But I knew God was there. Um, So there is a God. Second point, I'm not right with God. I'm not right with God. And both a feeling and a um, sort of intellectual conviction. Um, So I knew that God had laws. I knew things I was supposed to do, which I didn't do. Um, But more than that, I knew this this thing like this personal faith, which you're supposed to have, which I didn't have and sort of didn't really want. So there is a God. I'm not right with God. Third thing, I ought, I ought to be right with God. I should be right with God. Um, so you can believe you can believe that there is a God and that you don't like Him very much, and you can also believe that that doesn't matter, actually. Um, but I believed it did matter. Um, I knew I wasn't right with God, and I knew that was a problem in my life. Um, so there is a God. I'm not right with God. I ought to be right with God. And the fourth one, I don't want to be right with God, um, which is. I would not have been there consciously in my mind at the time, but it's definitely true as kind of underlying my motivations and my actions. Um, I didn't want to submit to God, and I basically want to get away from him. Um, I remember hearing someone preach about talking to someone about, about Christianity, a seeker, um, and the, the preacher said, well, what I tried to do is get them to sign three statements, three very simple statements, about how they they relate to God. So, first statement, I don't obey God's laws. Most people, if they're honest, will agree to that because God sets a very high standard. And we can all find ways where we don't meet up to it. So, people will agree they don't obey God's laws. Second one, I can't obey God's laws. That's a bit more challenging because we like to think that we're, we're capable of meeting a moral standard. And we, if we try really hard, we could get there. Um, but again, if you think about it, most people, I think, deep down, eventually after trying for some time, will recognize that the standard is too perfect and we can't get there. Um, third statement that this preacher tried to get someone to sign, I don't want to obey God's laws. And that's the difficult one. Um, that's kind of the kicker, because we, we like to think that we, you know, we really want to be with God. Um, but actually, honestly, at least for me, um, that was the challenge. I didn't want to do what God said. Uh, underneath. Um, and the feeling this led to, which I think I, I mean, talking about this to others at various points, the feeling was, I'm being chased. God's there. He's after me, kind of chasing me down. I'm running away from him, and I want to get away. But he's quicker than me, so he's probably going to get me at some point. Um, but I don't like it. I'm going to keep running away. Um, so it, uncomfortable, discomfort, difficult sort of thing. And this is just a kind of, because I'm living, you know, you live life, you go to school, you do stuff with your friends and your parents and all that. And this is just there in the background, kind of ticking over, niggling in, in my mind that sort of time. So um, no great sort of, I don't know, upfront sort of psychological impact. But it was it was a persistent feeling, just niggling, that God was there. He was going to get me. And I didn't really like the thought of that. Um, so that... That aspect to me was there. I think the age of about, I don't know, 14, 15, something like that, maybe 15, 16, growing alongside that, imperceptibly at first, 
very small, so I didn't really notice it was there, was that the, the other thought bouncing off that actually um, I did want to be right with God. And I, I can't identify when that started. It, it's not sort of a no great revelation that occurred to me that I can remember. Um, but very, very small, this desire to be like God, and also the other side of me, most of the time, to want to run away from God, which is a bit weird, isn't it? But that's my experience of life. Um, I think what to say about that, the, for me, the battleground for me was in my heart. And my, when I say my heart, my desires and motivations. Um, I'm not sure what psychologists call it. The, my will, so where, where I make decisions from fundamentally. Um, my heart, that's where, that's what God had to change. Um, that's what made me ultimately follow Jesus and what happened in here. Um, so I had to want it. And I remember that sort of age that church like spent a lot of effort on trying to answer our questions. And I, I mean, I hope they do that here too. It's a good thing to do. So we'd, we'd have apologetics type things and grill the preacher and, um, sort of the, the idea being that it's just a, an intellectual barrier that holds us back from God. And if only we could answer the questions, then we'd be able to rationally make the right decision and choose Jesus. Um, for me, definitely that's not the case. I'm definitely not rational, I don't think, fundamentally. I think I'm, I act out of my heart. And it's quite hard to explain, but I had an example of this acting out in real life the other, well, a while back, so I'll give you that. Um, I was talking to one of the young guys here in church. I think he's probably about 17 years old. This was, I don't know, three months ago, something like that. Um, very, very bright kid. Obviously, he's going to do well. Um, but he's openly opposed to Christianity and happy to kind of make a bit of trouble about it as well. Um, so sit down, talk to this guy. Um, and I said, well, what is, it, what is it about Christianity that you don't like? What's your objection to it? And he said, oh, well, I, I'm not a Christian because I'm a Marxist, he said. I've read Karl Marx. And Marx says... Um, that religion is the opiate of the masses. It's just there to kind of subdue you, keep you under control. And so that's why I'm not a Christian, because I'm a Marxist. Um, so I said, oh, okay. I haven't met any Marxists. I don't know what I said. Um, <laughs> go for a comrade, or something like that. So, we're, so we keep talking. And then um, five minutes later, someone else is, is in the conversation and asks this kid, what's holding you back from Christianity? And he said, oh, well, I, I don't believe in Christianity. It's the same kid. But he said, because when I grow up, and after I've gone to uni, um, my plan in life is this. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to get rich, make lots of money, millions and millions. I'm going to be a millionaire, he said. That's what he wanted to do. He's going to, he said, I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to enjoy myself. Um, and God would stop me doing that. So I won't be a Christian because I don't believe in God because he would stop that. And I don't want that. Um, and I thought, well, okay, at least he's being more honest, perhaps, than being a Marxist. And then just a few minutes later, it occurred to me, hold on, he... He was a Marxist five minutes ago, and now he's a capitalist because he wants to be a businessman. And those two things are contradictory. They don't add up. You can't be both of those. Um, so he has this going in his head. But the thing is, if you point out that that's a contradiction, he, his brain would come up with some way of justifying it, I'm sure, which is perfectly reasonable to him. Um, because the brain, at least for me, does what the, the desires want it to do, what the heart wants it to do. Um, so... For that kid, I'm sure, you can't convince him by argument. He has to have a change in his heart that would lead him to the church, lead him to Jesus. Um, and that's what it's like for me as well. So it was this this battle going on in my heart, if you will. Um, I wasn't outwardly 
argumentative um, because I wanted everyone to think I was very good church boy, all right? So I wouldn't have, have argued and or questioned things. Um, but inside, the same thing was happening. Um, and the Holy Spirit was in there slowly turning me around over a couple of years. Um, and it grew and it grew until I think I was about 16, 17. And I knew that in the end, I had to turn to God. And I wanted to turn to God as well. Um, and I started praying properly. And we had Bible studies in youth group. And I started actually listening to them and at a, a deeper level, wanting to know what was going on. Um, so, again, memory's poor, but at some stage, I decided that I had to be confirmed. There were confirmation classes actually in my church, not in school. Um, and I wanted to... I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to be with Jesus. I wasn't yet, but I thought, our oh, confirmation classes will solve it because that's how you... I'm a proper Anglican, right? Um, and so I, I go to these. And I, I remember going to the classes, and they're good classes, and I was praying that I would be saved, um, and nothing really seemed to happen. And I tried again. Or maybe, I, you know, you think, oh, perhaps I didn't quite do it right, so I'll try, pray a different prayer, slightly like different one. Um, well, I'll try super hard, and maybe that'll do it. But nothing seemed to happen. Uh, I went to the ceremony in Guildford Cathedral with the bishop, and what happens at confirmation? You get bashed on the head with a Bible, or they, no? They, they lay hands on you. That was oxy, right? But, <laughs> so you, it's, it's the bishop's magical touch going to change me or something, and nothing seemed to happen. So I still had that feeling that I wanted to be built, but, but God was kind of chasing me still, um, and I'm sure that's nothing against. The Church of England's confirmation classes. I'm sure they're very good, but it's just it wasn't quite my time, I think. But what happened then was pretty shortly after that, um, I went on a, a Christian youth camp, which they had. I don't know if these things are still going, but back then we used to go on these youth camps, um, which is where I think a, a few churches get together or organizations that run them, and you go off for a week to some kind of residential location, which for me was always old boarding schools, I think, and be one or two hundred kids. Um, and you meet lots of people, and you kind of play games, enjoy yourself, and get told about Christianity. Um, and I've been to one or two of these things. There are a few cliches which come out, right? So at some point, you, you find a massive great field, and you play something called a wide game, which is where you, you have rules which are different every time, and you have to run around until one team wins. It takes about an hour. We always have one of those. Um, another thing that always happened, there's all the cool kids always get together and play their guitars, and like it, for us it was Oasis songs. All right, this is back in the 90s. Um, and all the geeky kids like me who couldn't play guitar would hang around the back and wish they could play guitar, because then they'd be cool, like the other ones. So I bet you, I bet you guys still do that wherever you go. Soul Survivor, right? Um, the best what so the best Christian camp cliche was the testimony. So we had these meetings and they'd have one of the kids at the camp give their testimony, so like I'm doing now, so how they become a Christian. Um, and they'd always pick, without fail, the most messed up kid they could find. Like so you kid walks up the front, dressed in black, tattoos, all right, for a smoking cigarette. Um, and they'd be saying, yeah, I was in a gang and we used to steal cars and like, I kept getting arresting, arrested for beating up the police. I was doing drugs. But then Jesus saved me, man. It's awesome. I could turn around. And we'd be there, these middle-class kids, traumatized by this. Like, whoa, where'd they find that kid? Uh, <laughs> it's a bit crazy. Like, I have no idea how to relate to that. 
that sounds awesome. Like, Go Jesus, that's great. Um, so they, that would always happen without fail. Um, so these things, so it goes on like this. Um, but the central point of these things, which they, they built the whole thing around, was the meetings in the evening. Every evening you get together, have a, sing a few songs, um, and there'd be a talk on an aspect of the gospel. And through the week they'd take you through it very slowly, very patiently, till you got to the, the end. Um, and again, I don't remember exactly what they said, but something like this. So first point, um, there is a God. He created the universe. He made us. Um, he loves us. We were made to love him and to serve him. So there is a God. I didn't disagree with that. Um, second, second talk, we, by choice and by nature, rebel against God. So even though he's very good, uh, we don't like doing what he says. We disobey him. We worship other things rather than him, created things. We don't want to be with him. We don't want anything to do with him. We hate him. Um, and again, I didn't need convincing of that. So I, I was sort of aware of that, really. Um, third point, for this, for doing this, disobeying God, we deserve to die. Uh, so the, the Bible's very clear. The wages of sin is death. Um, but in his love, while we were still God's enemies, he sent his son to become a man, the um, person of the, the Lord Jesus, to teach us about him and ultimately to die for us in our place, taking on himself our sin and the punishment we deserved. That was very clear. Um, next one, Jesus rose again. He defeated sin. It didn't hold him. And all we have to do to be saved is to trust him for it. We, don't, we can't earn it. We can't earn right standing with God. Um, but Jesus gives it to us. God gives it to us freely. And graciously, all we have to do is trust him for it. And then next one, to, to those who trust him, God gives a new heart, so we want to obey him. Um, so, pretty sort of standard gospel breakdown, I hope. Um, that's what they went through. Now, this is the weird thing. It was the first time I'd ever heard it. Um, the idea, particularly the idea that Jesus did all the work. He said it's finished on the cross. We didn't have to work our way to heaven to... Um, to get to him, just have to trust him. It was the first time I've ever heard that. And for years afterwards, I figured that my church must have been rubbish. Right, you're in church for 17 years, and they don't tell you the gospel. Um, but actually, I think really, I must have heard it dozens of times. Um, and that was the first time that my eyes had I, I'd been blind. I'd been spiritually blind, which the Bible talks about quite a lot. And that was the first time my eyes had been opened and I'd really, really heard the message. Um, so, what to speak about next? I think, to be a, a bit of detail, the, the message that really struck me was something called propitiation, which is a very old-fashioned word, which you get in old-fashioned Bibles. Um, it's an aspect of the atonement, so something that Jesus did on the cross. And it means restoring of a relationship. So, Jesus turns away God's anger and reconciles us to him. Propitiation. Um, I said I felt God was chasing me. He was after me. He wanted to kind of chase me down and get me. That's what I needed to hear about. Okay, so hearing about that was brilliant because it meant, ah, oh, okay, I can be reconciled to God and God's not angry at me anymore. I think the gospel speaks to people in lots of different ways. So maybe the thing that spoke to you, I don't know, um, the fact that Jesus removes our guilt on the cross. Some people have a very real sense of their, the guilt that comes from their sinfulness. 
Um, Jesus washed us clean. We don't have that anymore if we're Christians. Jesus triumphed over Satan. He defeated evil. Um, some people feel very afflicted by evil. What else? Jesus redeems us. So we're, we're all slaves to sin, like uh, Israel was slaved in, enslaved in Egypt. Um, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. So some people feel very trapped by their sin. Redemption. Um, maybe you just need to hear that Jesus loves you, and that's it. Um, that's, that's a massive aspect of the cross as well. So it can speak to us in lots of different ways. But for me, it was the first time I understood the basic message of it. Um, so, again, thinking back, I remember a couple of last questions being answered very patiently by the people at this camp. So barriers, kind of my final barriers, I think, breaking down. I, this is a weird one, right? I had this doubt that it said to me, Jesus surely couldn't have died for you, for Charlie, personally. He just died kind of in a general sense for the whole world, but didn't really apply to you. Um, and someone said to me, no, that's not true. He knows you, he loves you, he died for you, personally. Um, another one, I, like I mentioned, I tried praying this prayer a few times, different times, and um, I kind of wondered what, what's going on. Am I... There's been no great flash of lightning from the sky, no, no voice of God in my head. Um, am I doing it wrong? And someone pointed me very, very simply to the promises in the Bible about salvation, um, one of which we just read out for us. So um, in Romans it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, it doesn't say you'll be saved if you, you pray just the right words. You will be saved, and that's it. So that's a promise. Um, and I think I must have been convinced of that. Um, so the week comes to the end, and I'd understood the gospel the first time, I think. Uh, my questions had been answered. I prayed the prayer some more, a few more times, as earnestly as I could, and, and nothing happened. <laughs> um, and then, actually, something did happen the next day. So we, this camp finished, and my parents came to pick me up. Um, and then the next day, we were going on a family holiday. And we were in the car driving for a few hours, I think, to the north of England, Northumberland or somewhere. Um, so it's quite a long drive. And normally, when, as a family, when we, we went on long drives together, my parents had put on audiobooks um, to, you know, to keep us quiet in the back, something to listen to. Um, but for some reason, they didn't that time, and we were just driving in silence. And I was looking out the window at the clouds and thinking, wow, that cloud's amazing. It's fascinating. And then, as this happened, I just had, I had this sense of peace, deep peace and love from God. Um, a feeling, definitely in my heart. Um, and it, it was so intense, I just knew it was, it's different. It's not, it wasn't something just from me. It must have come from somewhere else. Um, and that lasted, I think, about an hour or two. I never felt it since then. That was the only time. Um, didn't last very long. I think for me that was the confirmation um, that the prayer had worked. All right. And um, this is not to say that that has to generally apply to everyone. We all experience God differently. Um, it was probably God saying, I'm fed up with him praying that prayer. I'm going to get him and then he'll stop. Um, something like that. But I, since, since that happened, I've known I was one of God's children. I've known I'm secure in Jesus. Um, so that's it. That's as far as I've, I've got, really. I, 
that was 15 years ago. I was 17 years old. Um, since then, I've had lots of ups and downs in my Christian life, uh, which I'm not sure to what extent people generally experience that. Um, but I can also look back and see how God's blessed me. Um, I was going to... Could you stick up, Nick, the third verse of Come Thou Fount? I love old hymns. And one of the reasons I like old hymns is because they have very good words. And um, they articulate things very well, which I, I can relate to myself. All right, so um, have a quick look through. That's basically my, very similar to my experience of Christian life. I'm very prone to wander away from God. It's only God that keeps me close to him. Um, and it's, God, it's God's grace that saves us. It's not our own, our own efforts. Um, it's God. So it's prayer as well. Maybe perhaps when we're singing it later, uh, you could pray it yourselves. I pray it each time because it speaks to me so, so deeply, that does. Um, so that's all I was going to say. Um, I think I'd like to finish on the, the verse. It said in Romans, which is read out, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a promise. So you can trust it. Amen. Thank you.